Welcome back to another episode of the Miss Independent Podcast. I hope everyone's having a beautiful start to the year. I'm sitting and recording in my sunroom, looking out in what I call my snow globe. Grateful to be warm and cozy while there's a white blanket of snow that covers the treetops in front of me. I alluded to this a little bit in last week's episode, but I've dealt with a lot this year. I had to take some time away to heal, to create from a place of passion again. Halfway through 2023, I lost my grandpa after he had a cardiac arrest, and it was a really long battle. He was an absolute trooper, but he left us after being in a coma for weeks, and he passed surrounded by his family. I was his first grandchild, and we had a really special bond. He was actually the first person who taught me how to invest. He was the person who made me financially literate, so it's taken me some time to get back into podcasting and talking about money specifically because so much of my mindset was influenced by him. And there's so much that I learned from him that I want to pass on to you guys. I was blessed to have him as a role model, as an educator, but there was a lot of people who didn't have edema in their lives. I never called him grandpa. I always called him by his first name, which is kind of funny because to this day, I don't know why, but his name was Dima. And I'm not going to read you his eulogy, but if you're going to learn about his mindset, it helps at least a little bit to understand where he came from and why he thought the way that he did. So I'll tell you a little bit about his story. He was born in Russia just after World War II in the peak of the Soviet Union. He became a physicist. He got his PhD in physics. He was super analytical. He always wanted to understand how things work. He was always breaking things down, questioning everything. He was a huge fan of the Beatles. And it was actually incredibly taboo to listen to him during a time when the Soviet Union was booming, right? It was, it was communism. This was around the same time that my dad was born. This was the early 70s. And Dima bought a, a record, a Beatles record, from the black market. And he traded it for a different record with a so-called friend of his. And after he listened to the record, he wanted to trade back for his original Beatles record. So he called his friend. And instead of switching back with him, this friend called the secret police on Dima. And as a result, Dima had his PhD taken from him. He had a big job at the Institute of Sciences at the university. And overnight, he lost everything. He lost his degree. He lost his job. He lost his personal brand. Everything was gone overnight. Imagine what that was like. This is like old school cancel culture. And at this point, he was starting to figure out what he wanted to do next, right? He was starting from zero. People at the university were starting to talk about computer programming. And since he had to start his life over again in his mid-20s, he decided to teach himself how to code. Keep in mind, this is the 1970s. There's no coding boot camps. There's no YouTube crash courses. There's barely any books on programming languages, but he taught himself to code. So if you take away anything from this episode, remember this. You can start again at any point in life from anywhere. You always have a choice. And even when you feel like the world is against you, keep going. My dad used to tell me stories as a kid when Dima brought home his first personal computer. It was so big, it took up half the space of a room. Like, this thing was massive. And Dima built a very solid career for himself as a computer programmer or what we now call software engineers. So this was from his like, 20s to his 40s. He was a software engineer. Then in his 40s, when anti-Semitism started to get really bad in Russia and the Soviet Union was crumbling, he picked up and he moved his family to Israel. So he's starting over round two, which takes a lot of balls to do. He lived there for about 10 years. That's where I was born in Israel, which some of you guys may or may not know. I'm a first-generation Canadian, and the way that I look at life is from this immigrant lens, right? That's a lot of where 
my drive and my trauma comes from. But it's this drive to propel my life forward, almost because I feel guilty for all the hardships that my family went through to bring me here in search of a better life. But anyways, we moved to Canada in 1998 with my parents. Dima immigrated to Canada about a year or so after that because he had a very good career that he built for himself in Israel at the time. And we moved after the first intifada, partly because of all the terror attacks, partly because my grandma was unsettled and wanted a better life for us all. So that was why we actually moved to Canada. So this was Dima starting over round three, now in his 50s. Okay, so three times picking himself up, starting life and, and figuring things out. So here's what I learned from his stories and from his life in general. One, people are fucking resilient. Anything you're going through, anything that is hard, just know that this too shall pass. Two, you and you alone are responsible for your life and the lives of others around you. But nobody's going to magically make your life better. You have to go out. You have to push yourself to your limits to truly give it your all because you owe it to yourself. Dima, who came to Canada in his 50s, picked up, moved his family twice, came here with this purpose to build a better life in the land of opportunity. He was a very simple man. He didn't need flashy things. I don't think I ever saw him spend money on himself. But there were three things that he did that significantly impacted the trajectory of my life. He was way ahead of the curve when it came to financial planning. He opened up an RESP for me and started contributing to it well before my parents could. Keep in mind, my parents also moved here with an educational bite, but still had to stand on their own two feet and build their own careers with a toddler. They're also software engineers, not fancy business owners by any means. So I am definitely the black sheep in my family. I dance to the beat of my own drum. But it's because of Dima that I was able to graduate university debt-free. When I was five, he opened up a registered education savings plan for me. And for the first 10 years that it was open, he was the one who was making yearly contributions to this tax-deferred account. It's very similar to the TFSA and the RSP in that sense. It makes capital gains, makes interest, income, anything that's earned in that account is protected by being tax-deferred. So like some of the other accounts that I've talked about, although it's a savings plan, it's technically an investment account. But the beauty of this is that there's no yearly limit to how much you can put into the RESP, but the lifetime contribution cap is 50000 The government also has to help subsidize education costs where the Canadian government contributes directly into a child's RESP. Let's say you contribute the maximum of 2500 the first year the account's open. You could get between 500 to 600 in additional grants from the government, depending on your family's income level. So the maximum isn't $2,500 to contribute, but if you contribute $2,500, you maximize the grants that you get from the government. This could be a whole other episode in itself. So I'm going to pause here before I go off on a tangent, you know, that we all know I can do sometimes. But essentially, if you're a parent listening to this, opening up an RESP is 100% something you should be thinking about. If times are tough right now, which they are considering the, the landscape, right? Maybe consider talking to a grandparent or somebody else who can contribute for a short while instead if they have the means to do so in, in lieu of birthday and Christmas gifts. Okay, so that was the first thing that Dima did that was a huge, huge impact on my life. It was He opened and contributed to my RESP for the first 10 years of its existence. I stayed home for university. I went to a local business school. I lived at home. I worked 30 hours a week for most of university so that I could afford 
traveling abroad and going on an exchange program and paying for these miscellaneous expenses that I had, I was blessed where I had a roof over my head. I had the privilege and the option to not pay rent while I was in school. But I always hated asking my parents for money. And I think that's a big reason why I became who I am today. It pushed me to be financially independent. So when I started my first retail job, this is at Bell, I remember the first time I started to accumulate a balance in my checking account. And I was super excited about this, right? I, I share this with Dima. I distinctly remember sitting in his living room, being super excited, talking to him about the fact that I saved my first thousand dollars, right? Bouncing off of walls. And I remember him looking at me going, okay, that, that's great and all, but what ETFs are you buying? So this was life-altering lesson number two. This was my first proper paycheck, first paycheck that wasn't being spent on food, clothes, useless things. It was being spent on stocks. And again, it's a privileged position to be in. But Dima showed me how to open up my first self-directed TFSA. He walked me over to his computer and he showed me his account first. And he showed me how he was buying stocks through TD's online brokerage, which is super intuitive. Next day, I went into the branch and I opened up my own tax advantage account. Dima's truly a legend because when he came to Canada, he didn't have much, but he was able to set up his wife to outlive him and enjoy the rest of her remaining years to the fullest. He had some great mentors too. He loved Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Those are some of his idols. And I never fully understood the power of compound interest. You learn the concept in school in math, right? But I never fully understood until I looked at his portfolio when I was 18. And I remember seeing plus 1,000, plus 4,000% gain on stocks that he purchased. And this was wild to me. So I kept asking him like how he knew what stocks to buy. How did he know that this was going to go up 4,000%? And I remember him just sitting back, leaning back in his chair, laughing, going, Nika, I don't buy a stock. I buy them all. I'm not betting on one company to make it big. I'm betting on the economy as a whole. And he had lots of different ETFs in his portfolio. He particularly really liked Vanguard. I wonder if this is because of the low MERs or management fees. And maybe this was the fact that he just liked Vanguard for some reason. It also could be that when he started off buying ETFs, there wasn't as many options as there are now. And unfortunately, I can't ask him now. But to give you a quick rundown of his heavily diversified portfolio, he had a lot of energy ETFs, different sector ETFs, mining, emerging markets, Europe cap, banking, healthy mix of different index funds, NASDAQ, Russell 2000, Russell 3000. I'm, I'm going from memory here, but there was probably no more than 30, 35 max in there. He was a very analytical man, and he thought through decisions very carefully, and it paid off for him, clearly. The reason why I was able to move out and purchase my first home so young was because of that. The third life-altering decision that Dima made was to give me a loan to renovate my house. And for anyone that's joined the podcast a little bit later, I bought my first property at 25. It was a single-family home that I converted into a multiplex. And I was able to qualify and save up enough for a down payment with my husband, but I needed the resources to renovate the house and make my vision come to life. So I asked my grandpa for a loan, conditional that I would pay it back at the end of the year. And I insisted that I would pay him back with interest, but he always refused. He used to tell me, what else am I good for if not to help you get your feet on the ground and help you build your family? So now at 25, when we actually sat down with him to transfer the funds, at this point he had dementia and you know, it was a little bit more difficult to to work with him in all of this, but he didn't have the funds, even with dementia, didn't have the funds just chilling in his checking account. When 
I sat down with him to actually move the funds over to my account, we had to go into his TFSA and we had to sell a couple stocks and then transfer them into his checking account. But the reason why he was such a G was because he prioritized investing in his TFSA instead of in his RSP. His TFSA is tax sheltered, which means that those plus 1,000, plus 4,000% gains that those stocks made, he didn't have to pay any taxes when he moved those funds to checking. If he did this in his RSP, which is a retirement account, completely different story. Those are tax deferred. So it would have added to his income for the year. And as someone who's retired, paying additional taxes on money that he wasn't even living off, that he was giving to his granddaughter, was definitely not the right call. So to summarize the three things that you can learn from Dima to set up yourself and your future kids is one, open up an RESP for them as soon as you can. Two, I know this is intuitive, but take advantage of compound interest. Okay, invest for the long term. And three, set up your kids and your grandkids for success. Everybody loves to hate on generational wealth, but I want to challenge you to switch your thinking and to make that the goal, right? We want to be the ones that can provide for our families to set them up to make their lives as easy as possible so that they don't have to go through the same struggles that you do. On our wedding day, when me and Alex were thanking our parents, first and foremost, we thanked them for leaving the countries that they did. My family moved to first from Russia to Israel, then from Israel to Canada. Alex's family is Ukrainian and Belarusian, and they moved to Canada. So the hardships that they went through are the foundation that we built our lives on. So keep those three things in mind. I want to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, and I want to help you understand from a financial perspective, what do you do when someone passes? Right outside of the grieving and the emotional hardships, there's also the logistical aspects that you have to go through as a beneficiary or as somebody that is going to inherit their estate. So I'm going to assume that you've already gone through the life logistics at this point. You've already had the funeral. You've had some time to mourn. Now you're slowly able to lift your head above water and you need to figure out what to do with the accounts, the taxes, the debt. Document-wise, there's three things that you are going to need as a dependent. First, you need a death certificate. Second, you need a financial power of attorney. And the third thing you need is their will. There's also two professionals you want to have in your court that you can tap in at different phases of these next steps you're going to take. The first is a legal professional, and the second is a tax professional. And I'm going to walk you through when each comes in. But what you actually want to do now that you have these three documents, you have these professionals that you've reached out to. First, you want to get a lay of the land. You want to read the will. You want to identify and understand where these financial assets are. So you want to look at different financial accounts, assets, liabilities, things that were held by the deceased. These are going to include bank accounts, investments, real estate, any outstanding debt that they have. You want to understand their life insurance policy as well. Make sure you read that. Keep in mind, obviously, that mortgages are going to be considered debt. What happens when a person passes is that their assets are wrapped into what's called an estate, which is going to include their debt and their belongings. And the estate is going to be responsible for paying off any outstanding debts, things like mortgages, credit cards, lines of credit. The estate's going to be treated differently or separately from an individual. It's treated as its own tax entity. And the executor of the estate, this person is going to be named in the will. They're going to file a final tax return for the deceased. I'll get into that after, but they're going to file the final tax return before they actually distribute any assets 
two beneficiaries that are named in the will. It also a tax, the probate tax, which is a fee that's charged by the courts to process the estate, and this is going to be a percentage of the estate's value. I'm going to get into all this in detail. I highly recommend anybody that's over 40, that's accumulated some assets, start thinking about estate planning. I'm not a tax professional. Nothing in this episode is going to be tax advice. I highly recommend reaching out to a tax professional to help you start thinking about estate planning. But a side note on estate planning, it makes this process way more simple and significantly easier for anybody doing this work after you pass. Estate planning essentially involves making arrangements for how you want your assets managed and distributed after death. So high level, it includes creating a will, designating beneficiaries that are going to inherit your assets. It includes mentioning your beneficiaries in your life insurance so that you can bypass probate and ensuring that assets are distributed in a tax-efficient manner, ideally. A couple things you might want to consider are tax implications and family dynamics. Who are your beneficiaries? How do you want them taken care of? It's important to have a very comprehensive plan in place to avoid conflicts. A lot of people, a lot of families go through conflict at a time of death because there aren't clear boundaries or there, there isn't any clear communication on how the deceased assets are to be distributed. So TLDR, if you're above 40, definitely have a will so that you can clearly communicate this. And it's your duty to try to do your best to minimize the tax liabilities for the estate and to ensure that your assets are distributed in a way that one, aligns with your intentions, but two, minimizes the tax burden for people that are going to be handling your estate afterwards. Life insurance also plays a big role in estate planning. I'm not an expert on life insurance by any means, but if you do want me to have an expert on life insurance on the podcast, definitely let me know. Shoot me a DM and we'll try to find a professional to interview. Life insurance is kind of a loophole where it, it can provide one, financial security for your dependents, and two, it can help you cover outstanding debt and expenses. And once we have somebody on the podcast, we can get into that in more detail. There's also a couple other ways that you can minimize your tax burden, which I'll touch on, but I'm not going to dive into in too much depth. You can gift assets while you're still alive. So you can gift them to your beneficiaries, and this is going to reduce the overall value of the estate and potentially lower the tax burden on the estate. So let's say you've accumulated multiple properties, anything outside your primary residence, you can gift to your beneficiaries ahead of time, and that can help reduce the tax burden on the estate. You also definitely want to assign or designate your beneficiaries ahead of time for certain assets, things like life insurance, RSPs, TFSAs. And when you do that, you make sure that those assets can pass directly to the designated beneficiaries outside this whole probate process, which I'm going to get into. So it reduces probate fees and estate taxes. Setting up trusts is another good idea. Trusts are creative ways and, and they have their own tax advantages, but they provide a way for you to control how your assets are managed and distributed. And the fourth way to minimize your tax burden upon death is to hold assets jointly with a spouse. So let's say another family member, this also helps seamlessly transfer assets outside of the probate process. So let's get into what actually happens after you read the will, assuming they have a will. This is where the legal and the tax professionals come in. So it is a legal process, this probate process, where the person's will is validated by the court. Their assets are then going to be distributed according to whatever's written in that will. If there's no will, the court's going to determine 
the distribution based on applicable laws. So if you don't have a will, the court will determine how your assets are split up without your control. The probate process is basically confirming the authenticity of the will and ensures that the person who's going to execute the will is named in the will. It also provides legal authority for the executor to then, you know, go out and distribute the assets afterwards according to what is stated in the will. In Ontario, this whole process is fairly cumbersome and it's required by financial institutions or other entities to basically confirm that the person who is dealing with the person's assets was is the confirmed authority. It's important to note that not all assets that the person owns or not all assets in the estate are going to be subject to this probate process. So some assets can pass directly to the beneficiaries outside of this whole process. Things like jointly held accounts, which I talked about, things with designated beneficiaries, certain types of trusts. In my family circumstance, because my grandma was on the title of their primary residence and she and it was a jointly held asset, it gets transferred to her directly outside this probate process. Same goes for an RSP where she was a designated beneficiary. Things like that are not included. But what is included in the probate process are non-tax advantaged accounts, so general investing accounts. Everybody in my family has taken a role when it comes to Dima's estate. My job is going to be to manage my grandma's investing portfolio and convert her portfolio into dividend-paying stocks that she can then live off of. But that is way later in this process once all of the accounts have been moved and this process finalized. But another family member of mine took the initiative to actually go through the probate process and tried to do it without a lawyer. Ballpark for this whole process, a lawyer would have cost two to five K. But this family member of mine is super analytical, very detail-oriented, wanted to avoid legal fees, and essentially decided to do this himself. And the amount of communication back and forth with the court has been such a headache that the time spent alone on this, in my opinion, is worth the cost of the legal fees, especially for the average individual. So if you take away anything from this, if somebody passes and you have their will, definitely go through a lawyer. Just saves you time and headache. Probate process also takes several months. It involves court proceedings. There's legal formalities. So it's all kinds of back and forth with the court. That's where the legal professional comes in. Outside that, there's also fees involved with the probate. And in Ontario specifically, this is called estate administration tax or EAT. It's basically a tax that's imposed by some provinces in Canada, including Ontario, where it's a fee on the value of the estate when it goes through this whole probate process. So when the person passes, all of their assets minus their liabilities are, are bundled up in this estate. When this estate is being transferred and this whole legal process happens, there's a financial process involved as well. So the courts will tax the administrative process and impose an estate administration tax. Purposes to cover any costs that are associated with validating the will, granting legal authority to the person that's actually executing, and to give them the right to administer the estate. But the amount of that tax is going to be calculated based on the total value. Percentage is going to vary province to province. The estate also outside of this is going to be subject to tax on income that's earned. So the estate, that bundle of things that the deceased person owned, they're going to have to sell assets in order to cover this probate tax potentially or to cover their tax implications and their final tax return. So any income that's earned 
interest, dividends, rental income, capital gains on the sale of assets, the estate is going to be subject to those taxes. So the estate essentially sells its assets. Any stocks that you have in a non-tax-advantaged account are going to incur capital gains. Anything outside the primary residence is going to incur tax. Things like the sale of real estate, you're going to incur tax on that. You're going to incur tax on rental income for rental properties. How this is going to break down what the probate tax or the EAT in Ontario amounts to is is like this. So the first 50000 you don't pay any tax on. Let's say somebody has 350000 in cumulative assets. They pay the estate administration tax on the remaining 300000 right? So 350000 minus 50000 Now, the fee that they pay, the way that the government writes this or explains this, is $15 per thousand, which on 300 k would be 4500 that you pay to the Ontario government for this administration tax. To make things simple, instead of saying $15 per thousand, we can just say 1.5%. Okay, so probate tax in Ontario is 1.5%. If you have a million dollars, the estate is valued at a million dollars, you're going to pay 15 k in EAT. So that amount, some people might say it's minuscule, but it does really add up. So this is where you want to loop in a tax professional because some life insurance policies can help you avoid probate tax. If you have a family business, you can do some creative accounting. You can go through an estate freeze where you, you transfer future growth to family members. The deceased person's done some estate planning, maybe you have a trust. That also helps you avoid EAT or probate tax as well. If they haven't done any estate planning, assume the estate tax is going to be 1.5% after the first 50K in assets. I know this is getting pretty complex, so I want to visualize it for you. Let's say this is your parent that dies. I know, morbid, but just roll, roll with this example. Let's say they don't have a partner and it's going to be you and your one sibling that are named in the will as beneficiaries. You're on the title for their ancestral home or the primary residence. That's excluded from the probate for ease. Let's say there's no mortgage on it. Your brother is the beneficiary for the RSP. Let's say it's the same or roughly the same value as the house. That's all listed and taken care of ahead of time. But your father had two generic investing accounts non-tax advantage that he opened up after maxing out his RSP and TFSA. And these two generic accounts are worth 500k. That's what would be included as part of the estate. So that's what would incur the probate tax. Let's say in the will, at the bottom of the will, you also discover, you had no idea, but you also discover that he had an investment property. And this would also get added in the estate. It would have to be sold and it would incur probate taxes. Okay, I hope that clarifies things a little bit. So now that you have all the documents, you've gone through the probate, you understand how the person wants their estate handled, you understand who the beneficiaries are, you've gone through the legal process, you go in and you update ownership records. You would reach out to the respective financial institutions. You may need to provide a copy of the death certificate and go through any paperwork, but you're going to update ownership records for things like jointly owned accounts um, that have a right of survivorship. So joint owned bank accounts you own with a spouse, properties where you have two people on title, you wouldn't need to transfer. Essentially, you'd update the ownership record and you'd reach out to the financial institution where the person held the account and they'll guide you through the specific process of transferring or closing that account due to death. Next, you go through the wonderful process of working with the CRA. This is where you're going to call up the CRA and CRA for anybody not in Canada is the Canadian Revenue Agency. It's similar for the IRS, but basically inform them of death. And then they're going to guide you on the next steps and any tax obligations. 
Okay, this is really key. People say there's two things that are inevitable in life. Death and taxes. There's actually a cute bar in the West End of Toronto called Death and Taxes, and they have some great mocktails for anyone who's doing Dry January. But why I bring this up is the year of death in Canada, specifically, is a major taxable event, and it's going to affect capital gains and RSPs. You're going to need to file a final tax return for the deceased before you can distribute anything to the beneficiaries in case there's taxes that need to be paid. Those are going to be drawn from the estate. The return, that final tax return, is going to include any income earned up to the date of death. Any taxes owed are going to be paid from the estate. That's why anything that's included in the probate isn't transferred until the final tax return is complete. So that's why this process takes quite a bit of time. The last thing, the last and final hit that the government gets you with is estate taxes. And the good news is, in Canada, there are no estate taxes, but in some jurisdictions, some countries, there are inheritance taxes or death taxes, basically taxes that are levied on the estate of a deceased person. Like I said, in Canada, there's no inheritance tax specifically for beneficiaries at a federal level, nor at a province uh, or at a provincial level. And what that basically means is when you inherit after the estate goes through cells, takes care of its final tax obligations, any money that you inherit as a beneficiary, you are not going to have to pay any taxes on the amount you receive, which is kind of nice, right? Like you weren't the one who accumulated these assets. You just inherit the money that's already been taxed. But if you're not in Canada, if you do have to incur estate taxes, these are going to be based on the total value of the estate. And the reason why they exist is they're a way for governments to generate revenue, obviously. And the argument is that they're going to prevent the concentration of wealth in few families. So it's a way to distribute wealth. Whether you agree, disagree with that sentiment, I'm just letting you know why they exist and where that argument comes from. With everything that I just mentioned, take it with a grain of salt. Note that I'm not a tax professional. This is not tax advice. I simply want to educate you on the process and kind of after reflecting on my family's journey and what this process has been like, if there's anything that you take away from it, it's have the right people in your court that you can tap when the time comes. Things like lawyers and tax professionals can really help you out with this process to help minimize probate taxes. What you can do as an individual to prepare is maybe talk to your parents about what strategies you want to take, and start to employ some of these on your own. One, you want to make sure that you have a will, and you want to make sure that you know where your parents' will is. Two, designate beneficiaries for things like life insurance, RSPs, TFSAs, well ahead of time. This is something that I think a lot of people miss. If you are employed by a company and you have a life insurance policy or RSPs, there is a form that you need to fill out to designate a beneficiary. Make sure you do not overlook that because it makes this process so much easier for your beneficiaries when the time comes. If you or your family has significant wealth or if you're going to inherit, let's say, anything above a million dollars, you might want to look into setting up a trust. Trusts have a multitude of different tax advantages and they give you control over how your assets are managed and distributed. They let you be a little bit more creative in how they're distributed. Look into joint ownership, hold assets with a spouse or a family member so that that transfers seamless when the time comes. And the last piece that I touched on a little bit is while you're still alive, you can gift assets 
throughout your life to reduce the tax burden on the estate. So you can gift stocks, bonds, real estate, all kinds of different assets. Definitely consult a tax professional on this one because for anything that carries a mortgage or rental income, capital gains, these may tax obligation as a receiver of the gift. And finally, let's stop hating on generational wealth. We're all out here striving for financial freedom. And once we've achieved it for ourselves, the natural next step is to want to take care of those around us. Strive to set up your kids and your grandkids for success, not in a way that spoils them, not in a way that raises them with a silver spoon in their mouth, but in a way that makes their lives as easy as possible so that they don't have to go through the same struggles that we do. Think about that. I know this episode is a little bit morbid, but these are all things that we've got to think about. And unfortunately, not a lot of people talk about these things. So I wanted to make this episode in an educational way. I wanted to you know, honor my grandpa a little bit because he did help me out significantly in life. I wouldn't be where I am without him. And I miss him dearly. So I wanted to share a little bit of life lessons from his life. And hopefully you took something away from this episode. But that's all for this week, guys. If you found this episode insightful, if you learned something new, please share it with somebody who would also find it insightful. I'll see you guys again next week on Wednesday. Ciao for now.